Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Welcome to our off-season edition of Please Bet on Football Games. This one's a little different. We're not betting on anything, but we're setting ourselves up to bet on stuff. This is more of a please watch football games, if you will. I'm Joe, one of your hosts. I'm no longer BMAT FTS. I am now at Joe A underscore NFL. I try to keep my social media presence more professional now. And this is my co-host, Alex. And like you got in that underscore game, uh, you guys can find me at I underscore like underscore sports six. Have to be back, Joe. A little bit of a layoff. Uh, some some interesting stuff has gone down since since we last talked. We literally haven't even gone over the fact that we won our five-unit bet on the Rams' Moneyline Super Bowl, bringing our season-long win total to plus 11.78 units. So we're very far behind. <laughs> we are, but we're back. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about some draft stuff. Obviously, this will not be the only off-season episode you guys are going to get but draft starting to come up free agency has quieted down a little bit and we're going to talk about some of the prospects yeah draft is in 29 days as soon as this podcast comes out so i figured it's time to uh it's time to talk about some players because the beauty of the draft is i do all of this scouting now i get a really good feel for all these players and for the most part i can rely on those evaluations for the next two to three years when these players are like actual difference makers in the NFL, because I'm not going to learn anything about any of these quarterbacks within the next 17 games. That's going to significantly change my opinion from what I saw in college and skill position players, almost certainly not. So really like the work that I'm doing today will serve me until the end of 2024. Yeah. Just like uh, actual NFL teams, the off season is really important for uh, doing a lot of self-analysis, looking ahead to the next season. With that said, do you want to kick off with the top five quarterbacks of this class? Yeah. So a little bit of looking ahead. I think that we're going to try to do like every few days or every week. I don't know how we're going to fit it in the schedule because we've only got like four weeks. But we're going to try to get through like all the skill positions, just like the big name guys. I'm sure that you guys don't really need to hear my breakdown on Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. And frankly, I don't want to go that far in depth on a guy I know is never really going to start in the NFL. So. Today, we're just going to do the big five quarterbacks, and we're going to hit a, a couple talking points on each of them. If you want more in-depth analysis, uh, go check out my Patreon. It's in the link of my Twitter, and no, it doesn't cost anything. I'm not that pompous. Um, it's just an easy place for me to post the, I think they're pretty goddamn cool one-pagers that I've been doing on all these quarterbacks with in-depth synopsis and strengths, weaknesses, all of my game charting for them. That's not what this is going to be. This is going to be a little bit more digestible. Yeah, and I think we're in a good spot right now because you've done a lot of study to this point. And to be honest, I have not. I've, I'm have i kind of like the, the perfect square football fan right now in that I've paid attention to a lot of the big talking points. I've read, you know, the top reports on guys, looked at mock drafts, watched a little bit of tape here and there, but really haven't dove too deep into anything. So... A lot of this in-depth is brand new to me, and so I'm just going to be asking you questions about guys as we go along, but I know you have a plan, and for the most part, just run through it, and I'll jump in when I'm uh, confused about something. All right, Joe, so the question everyone's wondering, who's your quarterback one? All right, well, I mean, I'm not going to fucking, no pretenses. My quarterback one is Sam Howell, and I actually have a surprisingly high grade on him. All right, so first question, 
what's his biggest positive? What's the biggest hope you have for him? The biggest reason so, you have hope for him? Sam Howell has quite possibly the best deep ball I've ever graded since 20. I've, I've been grading quarterbacks like pretty in-depth since 2015. And I think he might have the best deep ball I've seen since 2015. Um, he's got... I mean, he doesn't have a Josh Allen caliber arm as far as strength goes, but it's like Justin Fields caliber. It's really high up there. It's a very strong arm. Um, I've seen him throw 65 yarders, like literally in midair. I saw him throw a 60 yarder. He was jumping midair, no feet on the ground, all arm torque, 60 yards. And it was accurate, very accurate um, while rolling left in a game with pads on. So he's got range like crazy, but he's also got good touch, the right amount of arc. It's, a, it's not quite a Russell Wilson moon ball but it gets high enough that it drops down and allows the receiver to run under it while still maintaining all of the distance, like maximizing distance for his arm talent. Um, And it's just consistent. Like he does it every time and he hits guys in stride. He doesn't even like a lot of quarterbacks, even Tom Brady will leave a ball back a yard or so because they're like, all right, if I underthrow it a little bit, worst case scenario, it's a pass interference. Best case scenario, my guy jumps up and gets it. Like, whereas if you overthrow it, like the play is dead and that's all. He doesn't even have to underthrow it. He's so good. He hits him in stride every time. Not every time, obviously, but he hits him in stride at a very frequent clip. And that that's how you get touchdowns instead of 30-yard plays. So his deep ball is stupid. It's great. Yeah, and that's a good trait to have, especially as the NFL moves further and further into a vertical offense-styled game. As we see more and more receivers that are purely burners come in and offenses really spread out and try and stress downfield. So that's definitely a big positive, but we'll go to the other side. What's his biggest negative or reason you have worry about him? So it's kind of difficult and it sounds almost like a cop-out, but he was in a really messed up situation at North Carolina. Everything was really helter-skelter. Mac Brown is a, a, a legend, an amazing coach, but like you can kind of tell that he's letting the game get away from him a little bit. Their offensive line was bad and also made a lot of mental mistakes and it was young and his wide receivers were really young and not very good outside of one dude. So his sophomore year, they had like, they had a, a pretty good stable of wide receivers who are like Daz Newsome and stuff who are now in the NFL, but they, uh, they basically switched to a high school offense, like a Tim Tebow style offense. And one of two things must be true. Either Sam Howell has really bad pocket awareness and isn't that good at processing post-snap, or the offense specifically called for him to look at his first read, maybe his second read, and then just run. Because he actually ran for about 900 yards this year and had the most yards after contact of any quarterback in all of college football per PFF, broke more tackles than any running back, or uh, sorry, any quarterback in college football per PFF. You'll hear a lot about some other quarterbacks with their running skills, but Sam Howell was actually the most productive as a runner. Now, I don't think that's sustainable. But again, either Sam Howell was being told, like, check if he's there, throw it. If not, dude, just take the fuck off because you're good at it. Or he's not going through his reads. He is slow to process. He's got a little bit of a Justin Fields problem. I'm willing to bet based on 2019 and 2020 tape that it's somewhere in the middle and his processing is fine. Not great, but fine. Uh, his pocket awareness is good. Not great, but good. Uh, because in his freshman and sophomore years, when he was starting, as a true freshman and sophomore, uh, they had actual weaponry and they ran a normal, a more normal spread vertical offense. And he didn't have these problems as much. So that was going to be my question was 
why are you going with it seems like it was the offense and not just his his weaknesses because that's the biggest weakness i've read about him is that his pocket awareness isn't great you don't and people don't know if he can process beyond his first or second read so i i was worried about that myself i try when i do my grading i pretty much always stick to the most recent year in college um because like if you had a great freshman year and then you sucked your sophomore and junior years like what have you done for me lately it probably is indicative of the fact that like defense has figured you out and you can't cope or you can't handle success um whatever you've put on tape most recently is probably the most indicative but because they they literally changed their whole offense like it looks like they have a new offensive coordinator in his junior year so i went back and i watched some 2020 tape i watched him against notre dame texas a&m and boston college and those are three of his four best games as a true sophomore playing against legitimate power five powerhouses notre dame who made the college football playoff AM, who was, I think, fifth and just barely missed the college football playoff. And Boston College, who has Jeff Halfley, uh, or yeah, has Jeff Halfley, and he's the former defensive coordinator of Ohio State. By all accounts, he is a very good defensive coordinator who, at the very least, gets discipline out of his team. He was avoiding pressure in the pocket like crazy. He did not take unnecessary sacks, like at a rate that it, like, he took unnecessary sacks, but at a very normal rate, not at a crazy rate. He was not running for negative yards. He wasn't really running that much altogether. And he was extremely accurate. So it seems that when he runs a vertical offense, that is a passing oriented offense, and he has receivers that belong in college football, he's really fucking good. All right. With that said, what team is a perfect fit to put him in this vertical offense? Where's your dream scenario for him? So originally, like a week ago, if you asked me, I would have said Tampa Bay. It'd be nice because he gets to sit behind Brady and that's a downfield offense with good wide receivers and a good offensive line. And like basically what he did at UNC as a junior, their offense was literally like, all right, Sam, you're going to throw a 30 yard streak and you're going to hit this slow receiver who's not separating in stride or you're going to run. And he was really good, but that's tough. There's not a lot of quarterbacks who can handle that. He has shown he can handle that. That is Bruce Arians porn. That is what, I mean, no risk it, no biscuit. However, I recently, like literally yesterday morning, found a better fit. Ian Rappaport told Pat McAfee on his podcast on Tuesday that a lot, I think four or five top executives from the Giants went to Sam Howell's pro day and Brian Dable took a personal interest in Sam Howell. Brian Dable of Buffalo Bills offensive coordinating fame. And I thought that that'd be a really amazing fit, not only because I love the Giants weaponry and I think that their offensive line is really coming together. But if you look at the, I mean, Josh Allen's a very different player than Sam Howell. Like they, they don't play the same. They're not a comp, but Josh Allen wins by being an above average to good runner who is creative, like off script and opens up the entire offense because his arm makes him a threat to every blade of grass, right? If it's inbounds, Josh Allen can get the ball there. And Sam Howell is similar. He's not as good of a runner, but he's a good runner as noted by his 900 yards last year. And his arm's not as strong because literally nobody ever has had an arm like Josh Allen, but it's really, really strong. So while they're different players and they play very differently, they think very differently, they win differently. I think Brian Dable could take a lot of the same concepts that he used to maximize Josh Allen and maximize Sam Howell with it. I think that would be really, really effective. Yeah, and I think that could be a good situation if Howell does have an issue with processing, because we know that was an issue that Josh Allen had when he first came into the league. And 
obviously I'm sure there were other people involved in the process of helping Josh Allen along, but he's made humongous strides since he came into the league. And I have to imagine Brian Dable is at least somewhat involved in that or aware of the process they used and could bring that over for Howell. So even if your worst case scenario comes true with him, you would have a coach that's kind of been through this type of growth for a player before. Part of the reason that Josh Allen's a little different is just because at Wyoming, he had no coaching. Like they didn't teach him how to play football. They literally ran him out there and they're like, hey, Josh, you're bigger and stronger and taller than everybody. And you're a smart kid. Like, don't forget, the dude is like a genius. Um, But he just hadn't been taught football. So his progression, like mentally was a little different just because like he was an unpolished rock. Um, Whereas Sam Howell at North Carolina doesn't seem to have had great coaching, but it's probably adequate. Um, So, you know. The, the growth curve will be a little less steep mentally. But one thing that I am encouraged about is Dable personally completely reinvented Josh Allen's throwing mechanics, which is a lot of why his accuracy has gotten so much better. Like they did this whole AI technological hooking him up to sensors like Ivan fucking Drago from Rocky Four, and like having him throw and like correcting his patterns and like sending shock impulses into his muscles to help him correct his throwing motion. Whole big thing, really crazy stuff. Google it. It's it's cool. Um, one of the things I'm not personally very interested in mechanics. I just want to see the ball get where it's going. I don't care if you drop kick it if it hits the receiver in stride. Cool. Um, but people that care about mechanics more than I do are worried about Sam Howell's mechanics because sometimes he will get sloppy. He'll throw off a back foot. He'll keep his legs a little too wide and that can take away from the height he gets on the ball because he is a shorter man. He's only 6'1". A shorter man, five inches taller than me. But uh, yeah, I I just think that Dable is a perfect fit on every level. You're going to give him a guy like Kadarius Toney, Kenny Galladay, and God forbid Sterling Shepard. Like, it's a lot of weapons. Yeah, I mean, the Giants' biggest issue has just been keeping guys healthy and getting any sort of consistent quarterback play. So ideally, if Howell can bring one of those things, then it's just a little bit of injury luck. Oh, I mean, with with injury luck and Sam Howell going to the Giants and actually starting over Daniel Jones week one, I think that's a playoff team. I think they win that division. Yeah, I mean, I think it helps that they're in a division that doesn't have a juggernaut. Yeah, but but this is not for prognosticating about teams. We're not evaluating them. We're evaluating quarterbacks in this draft all right so the next question i feel like we've talked about it a little bit already but what scares you most about your evaluation yeah it it's just the uncertainty like i wish i really wish that i had the luxury that these teams have i wish i could go call mac brown and be like dude what the fuck were you doing like what is this offense's philosophy and it seems really logical like in 2019 and 2020 they threw the ball in 2021 they lost all their receivers they switched to Throw the ball if it's there, but if it's close, just run, dude. You're a good runner. Um, like that makes a lot of logical sense to me. And I don't think that as a junior, Sam Howell like forgot how to read a defense and like go through progressions. So I'm not that scared, but also like I'm really high on Sam Howell. I have Sam Howell's grade at a 2.8. Like that's higher than Trevor Lawrence. As you can say, give us a little context. What's 2.8 mean? Give us similar prospects above and below. So we're jumping the gun a tiny, tiny bit, but because like one of the segments we're going to do is we're going to compare him to like quarterbacks past and present. Um, On my all time rankings since 2015, which is kind of funny to me because like that's not a lot of time to be all time. But anyhow, 
I have Sam Howell as my quarterback five. He has a 2.8 grade, which is the same grade that I gave Patrick Mahomes. I have him a little worse than Mahomes because I think his ceiling's a little lower, but I gave Mahomes a 2.8. That's my quarterback four of all time. Sam Howell's a 2.8. And then I have Josh Rosen and Trevor Lawrence as 2.6s. Um, for reference, Zach Wilson last year was a 2.4. Uh, Trey Lance was a 1.7. I was very low on him. Uh, Justin Fields was a 2.0. And Mac Jones was a, where the hell is he? Ah, Mac Jones was a 2.2. And now there are floors and ceilings on all of these players. So like, yeah, Mac Jones is a 2.2, but his ceiling is a 2.5. Whereas Justin Fields is a 2.0, but his ceiling's a 3.3. I think that Sam Howell has a ceiling of being 3.7, which is like Matt Stafford caliber, uh, Matt Ryan in his prime caliber, really, really good. Uh, I think that his floor at the worst, you're going to get like Kyler Murray level play where it's not quite average, but it's at least explosive. Um, A 2.8, if he comes in and he's a 2.8 right away, that's about where I had Andrew Luck prior to his retirement. Uh, That is currently where like a Josh Allen sits, uh, Aaron Rodgers sits at a 2.8. I'm lower on Aaron Rodgers than most. Uh, so that's, just, that's, that's very high praise for a guy coming in as a rookie. I have him as a top 10 quarterback. Now, I'm also of the belief that like by week five, a quarterback probably is about who he's going to be. Like throw away the first four weeks, shit happens. But by week five or six, like there's not that much growth that happens relative to the competition. They'll grow a lot, but the defenses will also be figuring them out more and more. So it kind of negates itself. Like fair enough. I think they have, I think you need like a good, at least two years before you can make any, yeah, any I mean, conclusions, but conclusions is one thing because like Trevor Lawrence, if you look at his stats and stuff, it's really easy to say he, he absolutely sucks an entire year into his career, but it's also really fair to say, dude, he had urban Meyer in that debacle plus no help. So, and most of these guys drafted towards the top of the draft, the highly rated guys, it takes a year or two, partially because they have to adjust to the NFL, but also partially because they're on terrible teams. That's the point. So if like, if you were on a team like the Giants, where I don't have to worry about scheme or roster help, that is when I would be confident saying he is a top 10 quarterback. Um, Like obviously if he goes to, I mean, he won't, but theoretically, if he went to the Jaguars last year, then I would say like, he's probably going to perform really well, but it's not going to look like it because he's screwed. What if he ends up in Detroit, like some people have talked about? I would really like that. Um, I think Detroit's actually got a great roster. I have no idea what to make of their coaching staff, but their offensive line is really good. Like they've got bookend tackles in Decker and Sewell. And then Ragnall's a great center. Their interior is solid. Like, so that's a good line. And then they've got Amon Ross St. Brown, who's a very reliable slot. You could do a lot of gadget stuff with him. They got DeAndre Swift, who's a good running back out of the backfield. They need one more wide receiver that I can trust. I, I like DJ Shark, but he's risky. Like he should be good in theory, but he's been hurt. And like, he's not a known quantity yet. Uh, if they added one wide receiver with him, I would be happy. And I would say like, expect big things, but it's tough to predict much more. Yeah, that would be my biggest concern is their, the depth of their playmakers. But we can talk about that if it ends up happening. That's what I'm saying. We'll get into like evaluating teams when all the dust is settled in like July and August. All right, so we'll we'll go to kind of the last little segment on him. What do you think people may be missing? So I think that a big reason that people are just kind of, because people, nobody's low on Sam Howell. Nobody's coming in here and saying like, eh, Sam Howell kind of sucks. You won't find a prominent draft analyst that like thinks he's not good. 
you mostly find draft analysts just kind of like forgetting about it. For instance, this is like, it blows my mind. I did my Sam Howell evaluation first. It was the first one I did because I had watched some of his junior tape when he was like during the season. I rarely watch college football in season, but there were a couple games that he was in that caught my eye. I watched him, I charted him live and I was like, this guy's pretty good. Like, I like this guy. So he was on my watch list. I did him first um, just because he was like a guy I had thought about. Um, I put together my scouting report and I had, I'm really high on it. As I already said, like I'm higher than damn near everybody on Sam Howell. So then I went and I looked at PFF's draft guide, Mike Renner. Mike Renner does a very solid job. I don't really love his quarterback evaluations and whatever, but in the PFF draft guide, they actually this year did like scale of one to 10 grading all the aspects of the player's game, like arm strength, mobility, pocket presence, anticipation, et cetera. And I went down, I was like, okay. I've got an A minus on his arm power. He's got an eight or nine on his arm power. I've got a B plus on his accuracy. He's got an eight on his accuracy. I've got a B plus on his mobility. He's got a seven on his mobility. Pocket awareness, I've got a C plus. Like we almost every single aspect of Sam Howell's game, we agree, like lockstep. And PFF grade, he had a 91 as a junior in his disappointing season. By the way, that's the second highest PFF grade of any of these big five quarterbacks. Um, so he had a 91 in his bad season. And then he had a 92 last year as a true sophomore. Um, that's really, really good. Uh, it's like Kyler Murray level good per PFF's grading scale. They loved Kyler Murray, wanted him to go first overall. So like, I'm, I'm getting to the bottom of the page and I'm thinking like, okay, so he's definitely got Sam Howell as his quarterback one, and he's going to have him as like a top 15 pick. No, Sam Howell is his second quarterback and he's got him as like a top 40 player. And he never really gets into why. He just kind of like forgets about it. And I think that people are forgetting about him because coming into the year, everybody expected him to be a Heisman contender. Everybody thought UNC is going to be really good. They got a quarterback who's starting for his third year. He's a highly touted prospect. There's not a lot of great quarterbacks in the college football landscape right now. Sam Howell is going to make a Heisman run and carry this team to an ACC championship game. And then Clemson sucks. So like they should win it. No, it didn't pan out that way because of roster problems we've already mentioned. So I think that everybody kind of just, it was a tough sell to begin with because North Carolina is not really a football school. The ACC is a boring conference nobody cares about. Clemson wasn't even any good. So why care about the ACC? And, uh, and he disappointed statistically, I guess. Like they didn't win enough games and his stats were great, but not amazing. So I think he kind of just fell by the wayside. Like, eh, you know, he already disappointed us. It's over. Like, is that enough? Is that like a fair theory? Because I I don't know. I wasn't paying attention during the college football season. Uh, yeah, I think it was he he came in with a lot of hype because he was so successful the year before, and then the team just wasn't really special. And he you know he had exciting plays, but nothing crazy. Uh, there's some of the things I've heard is that he doesn't have like a truly elite trait. I know you oh, disagree and think bullshit. his his arm strength is one of those, but I I've heard that from people in that like he he's very good at a lot of stuff, but he's not truly elite at anything. So if if so, this is one of the things I like to do with draft season. A lot of the time, evaluators like the one I described in PFF's case, Mike Renner, like they'll they'll have the right idea, they'll just misvalue things. So if you watch. Um, Sam Howell and you're like oh he's good but like nothing special one you're just incredibly wrong and two if that's your knock on him and I can hand you something that's not only special but probably the most important thing that a quarterback does in throwing a great deep ball 
all of a sudden you say, this is a guy who's like pretty decent in everything, doesn't really have any big flaws. Oh, by the way, he's got an awesome deep ball and a cannon of an arm attached to him. You're going to say, oh, that's like a top five, top 10 pick. Yeah, you're right. So the, like my my comp for him, because we kind of I kind of mixed in comps. My pro comp for him is a stubby Big Ben, but he is only 6'1", and I know Big Ben's thing is that he's huge, but he's like 230 pounds. Like he is a stocky chunk of a dude, and he's got a ton of strength in the pocket. He is trucking dudes. He trucks linebackers. He runs them over. They fall on their butts. Uh, it's. I don't think it'll happen in the NFL, but it happened yeah, a lot. Yeah, I was about to say. I don't think that'll against, happen in the NFL, but but he did it against Isaiah DBs. Simmons. He he ran over Isaiah Simmons at Clemson, which okay, I know. Never mind. That's like he's a small linebacker, but he's a first round pick. Like yeah, he he ran over Kyle Phillips, or it's not Kyle Phillips. That's a wide receiver. He ran over Kyle Hamilton at Notre Dame twice, like in two different games. I don't like Kyle Hamilton, but he can tackle. So like. At the NFL level, you expect DBs at least. He's probably not going to run over any linebackers, but he's yeah. he, the point is he's got some got some oomph behind him. I think that he's about the same runner that a younger Big Ben was. He's a little shorter, but it doesn't matter because he's just about as heavy. That's a little insulting to Sam Howell. Uh, and he's got the same like really strong arm with kind of a flat trajectory, but like just enough arc that it's not a problem. And yeah, I I, I think he's small Big Ben. I think that if he doesn't pan out, you're looking at Byron Leftwich, but there's still something that could be done with Byron Leftwich. Like there's a path. So yeah, he's got a big arm, man. If you look at him and you don't see a big arm, I don't know what to talk about. So do you have big, is smaller Big Ben as his most likely comparison or his ceiling comparison? So I not only have it at his ceiling, but I also think it's the closest comparison. Like, so I have his ceiling as Big Ben, his probable as Baker Mayfield and his floor as Leftwich. But I think he's a lot closer to Big Ben than he is to Baker Mayfield. He might be a lesser version of Big Ben, but he's Big Ben. He's somewhere in that in that range. Like honestly, I should probably tear this up. His probable shouldn't be Baker Mayfield. It should be a lesser Big Ben, and then his ceiling should be a good Big Ben. Like, <laughs> like it's either like Big Ben in his prime or Big Ben like a year after his prime. Like that's it. It's definitely not recent Big Ben. All right. So does this wrap us up on uh, QB one Sam Howell? Unless you have any, uh, unless there's any more national narratives that I should be combating, I that's my quarterback one. I, I Those really are the like top Sam two Howell. I've heard. So, all right. Well, then, who do you have as QB two? Quarterback two for me is going to be Desmond Ritter. All he right, is, the Cincinnati Bearcat. Yes, a father. How about that? He knows responsibility. He might be a father of two. He knows double responsibility. By all accounts, he's like the greatest dude. I know nothing about him as a person. I've just seen him play in a couple of live college games right. and then read some read some reports. Before we get into Desmond Ritter, this is all like total hearsay BS. Like I can't really take it into account in my evaluations because I have no idea what's media puffery and what's legit. But like, he's got at least one kid. He might have two kids. Like I think he's married. If he's not married, he's engaged. Like he's a serious person. Uh like raised by a single mother who is very close with and like he's been responsible from a very young age because they were like in this thing together. Like I respect the hell out of it. Everybody says he's an incredible leader and he's just like super like quiet but driven. Like best kind of guy you could hope for. I wish I got to interview him so I knew if it was real. But that that's what people say. I mean that bodes well for a quarterback. But you would think. Let's jump on in. What's his biggest positive or reason you have hope for him to have success? So it actually kind of blends well. I think his biggest strength is right now 
is probably his maturity. Uh, he plays with a sense of calm. And it, it's kind of strange to say because, like, what does that even mean? You know, what is a sense of calm? But, every, like, even when he's not processing well, even when he's inaccurate, even when things are all going wrong, he never seems like he's panicking. He always seems like he's got it under control. It's something that Dak Prescott really thrived, uh, or not thrived, um, that's Dak Prescott exhibited it really well at Mississippi State. He wasn't an accurate quarterback. He didn't have a ton of arm strength, but he just always kind of felt like he was in control, like he was an adult in the room. And uh, and Ritter definitely has that. Again, Ritter will panic. Like objectively, he will make bad decisions. He will fail to go through his progressions properly. He will put the ball in harm's way. He will miss passes. But even when he does, you never get the sense that like it's getting away from him. Sometimes you'll watch a quarterback. And the game's not quite going their way. And you're like, oh, he's just going to spiral. He's going to, you know, he's going to tailspin into the ground. You never feel that way with him. Um, yeah, I'll save the rest for later. Yeah, I mean, I I like that. Uh, I always get a little concerned when a quarterback's best thing is an intangible because that just makes me scared if it's going to be a Mac Jones situation. Like whenever I hear like, oh, he's so mature, he's really calm. I just think like, okay, so he has a noodle arm or he can't read a defense or something, but maybe not the case here. Okay. You say that like the national narrative is a little bit that there's nothing special about Howell. Ritter is strange because there's nothing special about him right now, but there so easily could be. And that's a really good tease for later. Let's get into the str- let's get into the weaknesses, but eventually I've got some really juicy stuff for you. All right, so tell me about his uh the biggest negative in his game. So, I just got done saying that the best thing about him is how he's like mature and calm. He's got really bad pocket awareness. Like he will just panic and and, and like run into a sack. And it doesn't look like he's panicking. You don't feel like he's panicking. He just clearly panicked because nobody would ever make such a bad decision otherwise. He'll hang on to the ball too long. He will like roll out into a containing defensive end. Um, now, that's probably not his biggest weakness just because he is very mobile. So he can kind of get out of that a little bit. Like that, that problem is mitigated by that mobility. The thing that like most concerns me the thing that'll be effectively the most hindering uh is is his precision so accuracy and precision are different accuracy is hitting a bullseye one in every five times precision is hitting a bullseye five out of five times you know like it's it's consistency of accuracy so like jay cutler was incredibly accurate but notoriously he wasn't very precise you know like you fire a gun at a target you hit the bullseye once and then like scatter shot everywhere else you're accurate you hit the bullseye if you fire a gun five times and none of them hit the bullseye, but they're all grouped in a really tight circle, that's very precise. It's the same thing every time, even if it's not perfect. Um, I understand what you're saying. It's a consistency aspect. Yeah. So his precision is not very good. He's a pretty accurate quarterback. I wouldn't say he's especially accurate. Uh, like I alluded to earlier, nothing about his game is truly special. Nothing about his game is terrible either. Um, but yeah, just if you're going to be a check down conservative quarterback like he is, you can't be leaving the ball behind across the middle and missing high as often as he does. And he does miss high when he misses, which is not what you want. If you want to miss, you probably want to miss low. High balls get tipped, high balls get picked. Um, Yeah. Again, there's not a ton of weaknesses. He's a pretty decent prospect, but consistency of accuracy, precision, it needs to get better. All right. So with that said, where do you think uh, is his perfect fit? The best place for him to succeed in the NFL? 
I'll tell you that, but I'm going to call an audible. I've been hinting at it too much and I need to get it off my chest. We're going to skip to the popular misconceptions about Ritter first, and then I'll tell you where I want him to go. Getting a curveball. Prospect two. Off-season, man. We got chaos happening. Well, like, so the problem is that it could be his greatest strength. If you watch the combine, and I'm assuming that if you're savage enough to listen to this podcast or consume any of my media on the internet, you're a football freak and you watch the combine. And you saw at the combine that the dude ran like the wind. I think he ran like a 4-5-0 flat, like Mariota time. And if you saw his pro day, he can throw the ball 65 yards. He ran a 4-5-2. Isn't that Indeed. exactly isn't that exactly the same time as Mariota? <laughs> Let me do some research. Well, while you're doing that, I'll explain. He runs really fast and he can throw the ball like 65 yards in shorts and a t-shirt. You saw it in his pro day. 448 Mariota. Oh, so there you go. So he's almost as fast as Mariota. Um, and Mariota's wide receiver fast. Keep in mind, like Deshaun Watson ran a 466. So this is almost a second or not, sorry, almost uh, 0.15 seconds faster than Deshaun Watson. That's a lot faster. That's the difference between Jarvis Landry and like a wide receiver who belongs in the NFL. <laughs> getting off topic, getting off topic. I'm just messing around, but uh, no, don't it's have the Browns deal. ever again. It's a bit, well, he's not going to play ever again. 20 million a year, my ass. Um, he's very fast, like very fast in, uh, in the 40 yard dash. And he can throw the ball 65 yards. So like the athletic traits to be a freak are in him. It's a lot like Kellen Mond was last year. And if, if you followed me on Twitter, the saga of me enforcing myself to watch Kellen Mond so that I could grade him and then hating every second of it and being really angry that I wasted my life watching Kellen Mond be terrible at football. That was a whole thing. But like Kellen Mond has a legitimately awesome arm in theory. He can throw the ball forever, but the way that he throws in games, like what actually happens on the field, he throws with way too much touch and to the point where he's just floating balls and they're too, like he effectively has a weak arm. He's floating balls. They're not getting there fast enough and they're easy to pick off. He's under throwing things because he's just trying to put too much air under it, trying to put too much touch. He's not zipping it, like not putting a drive into it. Not, you know, they look like Kirk Cousins throws, frankly, despite the fact that, you know, he has a cannon at his pro day and very occasionally on a deep ball. Another quarterback that had that problem was Brett Hundley back in the day out of UCLA. Like there are quarterbacks who have objectively strong arms and just you'll never see it in a game. Just like there are wide receivers who run a 4-2 at the combine. And then when they get on the field, they don't look so fast. Like uh, what's his name? Schwartz from the Browns. He runs a real fast 40. He looks slow on the field. Yeah. And then you have and then you have the opposite where like Stefan Diggs ran like a four five, but on the field, he looks really fast. Well, similar thing here. Ritter has a really strong arm, objectively, but on the field, it looks mediocre, which is why, despite the fact that his arm is every bit as strong as Howell's, like they literally have the same physical talent to throw the football. He's got a B plus arm, whereas Howell's got an A minus, which is a significant difference. An A to a B, still significant. Um, again, and again, Ritter runs like a wide receiver at the combine. On the field, he's not pulling away from people. So his biggest strength could be the fact that he's an awesome athlete who runs like Mariota and throws like Big Ben. But that's just not how it actually plays out on the field. In fact, I was listening to a podcast and one of the hosts was actually at the Cincinnati Pro Day. And he was standing there behind Ritter as Ritter was throwing the ball at his Pro Day. And he had one pass where he threw it like 60 yards on a rope. Just a killer throw. And one of the wide receivers from Cincinnati that was working out at the Pro Day literally said out loud, why the hell doesn't he throw like this in games? Because he doesn't drive the ball. 
I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if it's like, I don't know, but he doesn't. So yeah, that is super strange and kind of a concerning thing. Well, it's weird too, because it's the second year in a row that we've found a quarterback who like in theory should be a physical monster. And he just doesn't play like it. He plays like, you know, who, you know, who it's a lot like, and this is my comp for him jumping the gun. Once again, Derek Carr. Interesting. So he he's, because I don't think of Derek Carr even having a strong arm, but it might just be because we've seen him float balls for See, so long now. That's the thing. Derek Carr has a cannon. He can throw the ball in the air 60, 65 yards for real. I, like when he came out of Fresno State, it was like, dude, all he does is throw screens and check downs. But every once in a while, he'll uncork one and it flies. He's got a really strong arm. He just that's not how he plays. Fair enough. But still, I think if uh, you can get a Derek Carr out of Desmond Ritter, you're thrilled. Yeah. And so now that we've gotten that out of the way, we can get to the scheme and team part. Where is your dream fit for Desmond Ritter? I want him in Minnesota. Oh, uh, Kevin O'Connell action? See, I like O'Connell because he is a Shanahan McVay disciple. And I am doing a little bit of projecting because I'm just assuming that he will run a standard wide zone play action offense like they do. Um, but if that's true, one, he'll have a year to sit. And so a lot of people I've heard that Desmond Ritter is like the pro ready dude. Cause he started for three or four years and he's won a lot of games and he came from a pro style offense. I'm not as certain because I think you need a year to like get him out of his shell because the way that he has played in college, at least is really conservative, really scared. Like just trying to, be a game manager and protect the ball. And I think that if you want to get the best out of him, you have to kind of break him of that habit and sitting for a year behind Kirk cousins in an offense that is structured and will make him comfortable might give him a chance to like find his balls. You think sitting behind Kirk cousins will help him learning from the, uh, the aggressive risk taker. We know Kirk cousins to be. I've never wanted to drive fast as badly as when I'm stuck behind somebody driving slow. It's a fair point. <laughs> like if you're going to sit there and Kirk Cousins is actively losing his job in front of your eyes, losing his career in front of your eyes because he doesn't have the balls to push the ball downfield. And your coach is yelling at him every day, like Kirk, throw down the field to one of your elite receivers, please. You're going to be sitting in that like QB room thinking, well, he is getting fired for not throwing deep. When I get in, I should throw deep. It's hopeful Until thinking. you watch Kirk drive off in his $100,000 car to his multi-million dollar home because the man's made $150 million in his career. And his go, Maybe it's not the worst tactic. Undoubtedly, Kirk Cousins has a $100,000 minivan. <laughs> Undoubtedly. It just has all the amenities. It's the best minivan, but it's still a minivan because that's Kirk Cousins right there. Comes with autopilot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I would like to see him in any Shanahan-style offense just because, like, he does have the mobility, and that is the best place to put a safe quarterback. But, I mean, who wouldn't look good in a Shanahan offense? It's a fair point. So any any really Shanny offense is what you're looking for, but Minnesota might be good given the, the coaching structure and some of the playmakers. Well, like, I thought about Miami because that's also going to be a Shanahan offense, but they need somebody to push the ball downfield right away. and. I don't, I think that that would freak him out. And frankly, I think that if he's freaking out, I don't think he's going to play very well. If he's trying to, yeah, the pressure to get the ball to Tyreek and Jalen Waddle would be pretty overwhelming for a rookie. Exactly. So like either 
Now, this is actually a perfect segue. Let's do the next segment and I'll be able to talk about it. Is that what scares you about your eval? We've jumped all over, so I've lost all, all sense well, of direction. You did great because that is exactly it. What scares, Joe, what scares you about your evaluation? <laughs> so I'm scared because notoriously I hate defensive head coaches. And he had a defensive head coach in Luke Fickle, who uh, is basically Mike Vrabel, who recruits. Mike Vrabel being one with no testicles, an empty purse of a sack. Yeah, I think uh, Luke Fickle like actually has balls to a certain extent, whereas Mike Vrabel just acts like he does by a lot of projection. Mike Vrabel is the embodiment of toxic masculinity trying to tell you how cool and tough he is because he knows that he is terrified of the, what terrible things could happen if the ball goes in the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Mike Vrabel, it turns if. out, is just actually terrified of balls being in the air. He's mortified by gravity. <laughs> if it's ever not touching one of his players, he feels scared. I mean, look, think of all the things that could happen. Yeah, you could like win all of the football games or it could hit the ground like dude. But my my basic fear is that the reason that Desmond Ritter, who has a very strong arm and is very fast, the reason that he is so conservative and plays like such a game manager is actually because he's just being coached by a defensive minded head coach who wants to run halfback dive and play action. So there is a possibility that once he's freed from the shackles of that bitch-ass coaching staff, he would blossom and show the traits that he has but doesn't take advantage of. And so there's a possibility that if you put him in Miami with a coach who's supportive and has balls, that he would throw downfield beautifully. But what if he doesn't? Also, like, even when he does throw deep, his deep ball's not very good. It's, it's just enough to pass, but it's not good. Yeah. Yeah, very anecdotal, but because I've only seen him in a, a few games, but the live games I have seen, his deep ball has not impressed me. It's no, been very inconsistent. At first, when I was first watching him, I was like, oh, but you know, like he's got this big white guy out on the perimeter. Like, how's he going to throw deep balls to this like big borderline division two white wide receiver? Like, that's tough. And then I started actually watching Alec Pierce and I'm like, oh, this is like a first round draft pick wide receiver with amazing speed. Yeah, what did I'm he run? Four, three, four. I know it was four threes. But... Yeah, no, like I literally, I was, like two games in, I was like, he's always open against Georgia, Notre Dame and Alabama. I'm going to watch more of his tape just so I can make sure I understand Desmond Ritter. And I was like, oh, this guy's really, really good. And Desmond Ritter just can't throw deep balls very well. Yes, that's an extra concern of if you actually have a very good wide receiver. Because normally, you know, you can make that qualification for a guy that's not at a top flight program of, okay, well, who are his receivers? It seemed like he went in with that preconception. But yeah. now it seems like, okay, he actually had a very legit wide receiver that he still couldn't take advantage of. I mean, he took so advantage of him. Scare me. He took advantage of him. Like Alec Pierce was very productive. It's just he didn't maximize him. And if you have a guy who is arguably a first round draft pick quarterback and a guy who's definitely a first round caliber wide receiver, if you put them together, you should have magic. Even if you have a defensive head coach who like doesn't want to throw the ball down the field much, it should transcend. And it didn't quite because I don't think that Ritter is quite there as a quarterback. Also, like worth noting, um, almost everything I watched was from 2021. I watched the Georgia game from 2020 and the Houston game from 2020. However, it's a little curious to me that his PFF grades were like in the 60s and 70s, like high 60s, low 70s. 
And then all of a sudden, his senior year, it jumped up to like 90. So we're looking at a guy who PFF didn't really like, and I don't love. And then all of a sudden, PFF likes him, but for one year as a senior. That's scary. Concerning. Yeah. And, and like watching Desmond Ritter, I kept on feeling like, oh, this is Derek Carr. Like this dude is Derek Carr. That's a good starting quarterback in the NFL. You don't want that. But if you have that, you're happy. Like that is a borderline top 10 quarterback. You take Derek Carr in the top 15 of the draft every year if you can find him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, it's as much as you feel confident watching him. And I think it has a lot to do with this maturity and calmness. You watch him and you're like, oh, everything's under control. He's probably throwing lots of accurate balls consistently and they're methodically working their way down the field. And then you look back at your chart and you're like, oh my God, he was only accurate on, you know, in this, in this game, he was only accurate on like 63% of his passes. I, I thought it would be a lot higher than that just because like he gives vibes of consistency and simplicity and it's just not quite what it should be. His arm is not quite as live as it should be. He's not quite as fast as he should be. His accuracy is not quite as consistent as it should be. Everything feels just a little off and I can't tell. I felt something a little similar with Justin Herbert back in the day. And, you know, Justin Herbert had that backwards offensive coordinator in uh, Mario Cristobal at Oregon. Like they ran... They ran the ball and they threw short. But even when Justin Herbert's game was dulled by a regressive coach, he was still really accurate and precise. Like he still kept that offense on rhythm. And every once in a while, when he did get to uncork the deep ball, it was lovely. And like he still carried them to big wins over big programs, despite having no wide receivers. So Ritter, on the other hand, has a wide receiver and he's still reticent to throw the ball to the second or third level of the defense. And he didn't, man, he had this one game against Navy. I didn't chart it, but. I would not draft that quarterback. Like it was an undraftable game. Uh, it, it's not in the chart, but like, dude, he threw like four pickables and he was accurate on like 50% of his passes. It was terrible. So, so, and like that, you can't have that game if you're going to be the consistent Derek Carr type. That game can't happen against Navy. Yeah, this seems like a, a tough evaluation and just goes to show you how rough this quarterback class is because I'll remind you, uh, this is quarterback two. This is the second-ranked quarterback out of everybody. All right. A little context. Overall, since 2015, this is my quarterback 14. So out of what? 46. No, 43. I've graded 43 quarterbacks since 2015. He's number 14. So, like, not bad. Um, I have him. I have him just below Davis Mills and Joe Burrow and just above Sam Darnold and Deshaun Watson. So he's the kind of quarterback I expect to go in the first round of most drafts, but also he's the quarterback that I don't think belongs in the first round of most drafts. Like, yeah, and we know teams like to get sold on the maturity and uh, kind of leadership like, aspect of a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, every year there's – like, frankly, there's only like if, – if I were a GM and I had unlimited job security, I would have drafted – in the last, since 2015, the only quarterbacks I would have drafted in the first round, but it would have been one, two, three, four, five, maybe seven. I might have drafted seven quarterbacks in the first round total as a GM if I had unlimited job security since 2015. You got to give us quarterbacks now. You can't just tease their seven and not give us the names. Okay. I, I would have drafted Baker Mayfield, Justin Herbert, Marcus Mariota, Patrick Mahomes, Sam Howell, maybe Trevor Lawrence and Josh Rose. So five, maybe seven. Like I love, I'm I'm known as like a Davis Mills stand. I love Davis Mills. I wouldn't have taken him in the first round because I don't think he becomes like 
a top flight quarterback. If I'm taking somebody in the first round, I think they're going to be a top five, top 10 guy. Definitely top 10, maybe top five. Otherwise, I'm going to take my first round pick and I'm going to send it somewhere for a dude who I think can be a top five, top 10 quarterback because there are market inefficiencies like crazy. Fair enough. Like, is, like, does that about wrap, wrap us up on Desmond Ritter then? Um, or is there more you had to talk about? Uh, just one last thing. Uh, just finishing up the comparisons to past years, like to, to make to hammer this home. So my grade on Desmond Ritter is a 2.3, which is like the average, that's the DAC line. If you're a 2.3, you're like a quarterback that can, you're tofu. You are exactly as good as the team around you, right? Um, I have his floor as a 2.0. So like worst case scenario, he's going to be a startable quarterback, if not a good, you know? At a 2.0, that's a guy who can start. You kind of got to carry him, but he can start. And then I have a ceiling as a 2.8, which again, that's about where Sam Howell is for me. Uh, that's like where I project Sam Howell to be. That is a top eight. It is between like four and eight as a quarterback right now. Um, granted, the NFL is weak right now at quarterback, in my opinion, relative to my childhood of like the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees era, which yeah, is- We got really, really spoiled in our early childhood. And dude, kind we of got so to, spoiled. Uh, <laughs> and to come back to earth a little bit with the recent quarterback crop. Well, it's also just hilarious because like Tom Brady is still quarterback one and he is still like head, shoulders, knees and toes above everybody else. It's like Tom Brady, a gap that you need a truck to drive across Matt Stafford for me. Like it's big, but uh, he is still very good. And I'm happy we get to watch him play again this year. Me too. But uh, like last year, Zach Wilson, second overall pick. Yeah. Zach Wilson, second overall pick. Everybody seemed to know that right away, but he was only a 2.4. Like I have him and Desmond Ritter fairly close. I have Desmond Ritter higher grade than Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones. So as much as you're saying like, not a very good quarterback too, this dude would have been quarterback three last year and not by much. Fair enough. It's rare that we get the quarterback caliber we think is normal. No, it's a good point. I mean, even... Even the can't miss type prospects still have a lot of warts to their game because these are it's the toughest position in in the sport that requires a lot of you know mental growth to it. And so guys that have only been playing it for you know five, six years is their primary thing they're really into at a generous rate. They're gonna they're gonna struggle. So it's a lot of projection with these these prospects as well. But I think that wraps us up on Desmond Ritter. All right, Joe. Who is your quarterback three? This was actually tough. Like I had to like balance some shit, but I'm going to go with Malik Willis out of Liberty. Um, I don't love it. This morning, I thought he was quarterback four, but he's quarterback three. Let's stick with it. All right. What's his biggest positive or reason to have hope? It, it is very obviously his legs. Like, I'm sorry that that's not a super in-depth, insightful take, but like, yeah, he runs like a running back. Um, almost identical as a runner in style ability, athleticism, everything to Jalen Hurts. Like really, really almost identical to Jalen Hurts as a runner. Awesome. Yeah. What about his biggest negative? I said that like Desmond Ritter had bad pocket awareness, but it's okay because he's mobile. So like he mitigates it. Malik Willis has terrible pocket awareness. And even though he's significantly more mobile, it's not enough to mitigate it. But he, he runs into people. He'll improvise and bail out of the pocket for no reason whatsoever. Like he, he fumbles quite a bit because he's just like carrying the ball way out behind him and like runner it's a mess 
Like it really doesn't look like there's sometimes it doesn't look like there's a play call. It looks like the coach is just like, fuck, I'm hung over. I don't know. Figure it out, man. And Malik Willis just goes in there and like runs around in a circle until he finds something to do. And I know that that's not the case because Hugh Freeze is actually a pretty good offensive coordinator telling me that there's something wrong with Malik Willis's bearings in the pocket. Fair enough. It's interesting because you have Sam Howell where you blame the coaching Malik Willis. You're blaming him. Okay. Fair criticism. However, with Sam Howell, if you blame him, you come away saying his pocket awareness is passable, but I would like it to be better with Malik Willis. You come away saying, Holy fucking shit. What is he doing? Like, like he's going to sabotage a perfectly good play for no reason other than he felt like it. Um, so the degree is massive. The difference in degree is massive. Additionally, I have two years of tape with Sam Howell in an offense that I know is kind of backwards where he doesn't have that problem. Whereas with Malik Willis, I've seen other quarterbacks at Ole Miss with Hugh Freeze, such as Shea Patterson, look and Jordan Tayamu, they looked sound in the pocket, like things were pretty well defined and they weren't great prospects by any means, but they didn't look like chickens with their heads cut off in the pocket. All of a sudden, Malik Willis does. All right. Fair enough. That makes sense. I would, yeah, I figured it was the the time thing where we've seen how it'll be good, but the previous guys with Hugh Freeze is a, a good indicator for me. Yeah, typically, typically, if I don't know about like who to blame, oh, it's hailing. I thought somebody was trying to break into my apartment. It's hailing outside. Um, typically, if I don't know how to blame, I look at what other quarterbacks have done with the same coach and what this quarterback has done with different coaches, if possible. There's really no other quarterbacks at North Carolina with Mac Jones. Hugh Freeze brought basically the same coaching staff from Ole Miss to Liberty. So I know what I'm getting, and it's not great from Malik Willis. Sounds good. All right, next. What is your uh, dream fit for Malik Willis? Like, honestly, the only place he really fits currently, obviously anybody can change their offense. But right now, it's just Baltimore bust. Like, I don't think... Say what you will about Jalen Hurts. He's got a weak arm. He's not a great processor, but Jalen Hurts is safe. Like he kind of is self-aware. Like, oh, I'm not that good at this whole throwing the football thing. I'm going to try to play it cool. Um, additionally, Jalen Hurts is significantly more accurate. So I don't think he can run what Philly has been doing. Now, if you want to change your offense significantly, I think that like Seattle might like to run the ball more. Like Seattle might be like, oh my God, we could run the ball with the running back and the quarterback. We never have to pass again. Pete Carroll might like actually bust out of his pants, but a lot of things would have to change. I think that he would fit in Baltimore really well because it looks like Lamar might be leaving, which would be so strange. Um, yeah, it seems like one of those things where Baltimore has come in and offered him $35, $40 million a year because there are reports that he got similar deals to Josh Allen or similar offers to what Josh Allen got. And he's saying, fuck you, I want to get money like Mahomes and now Deshaun. And I mean, it makes sense to a certain standpoint because last year is his worst year in the league and he doesn't want to do yeah, his payment it, there, but it's his worst year think. since it's his worst year since the year prior when he was almost as bad, which is his worst year since his first year, which was terrible. He had one year where they charted out a gimmick offense nobody had ever seen before, and it was successful until they played good teams. Yeah. Um, Lamar Jackson sucks and was outplayed by Tyler Huntley last year. Significantly. Significantly. Tyler Huntley was an undrafted free agent quarterback who I didn't even ever scout in college because I didn't think he was worth my goddamn time. Uh, anyhow, this is not a Lamar Jackson sucks pod. 
that is for when Lamar Jackson's playing and we're betting against him consistently, unless he's playing a bad team. Uh, but I think that what Malik Willis could do in Baltimore is would be welcome because he's not as good of a runner as Lamar. Just like Lamar has wide receiver speed and Willis has running back speed, if you catch my drift. Um, but Lamar has a weak arm and really can't get the ball outside. And while Willis's arm is overrated, which we'll get to, it is still strong and much stronger than Lamar's. So I think that opens up the offense a little bit more. And like the benefit of a Lamar Jackson offense is you run the ball with the quarterback, everybody bites up, you get the high-low read. It's really simple. You hardly have to think. They're just not covering Hollywood Brown while he runs down the field. And Malik Willis actually has the arm to get it to him. So that would be lovely. So either go to Baltimore and replace Lamar Jackson and open up their passing game a little bit at the cost of a little bit of their running game, or go to a team that completely reinvents their offense to fit the fact that you're a run-first quarterback, or go sit for a while and pray to God that somebody can fix your broken passing game. (laughs) The entire thing. So Baltimore or a team that really wants to change up the offense or are good spots for him. You either change the offense, you change him, or you put him in Baltimore. Fair enough. All right, next question. What scares you about your evaluation? Uh, aside from the fact that everybody seems to love this kid, and I don't yeah, you, get you it. You have a very different take, because the man is kind of the toast of the town. It's the most absurd thing, because like you watch the Combine, and if you, were, if you didn't watch the Combine and you just went on Twitter afterwards, everybody's like, jerking off collectively to how amazing Malik Willis was. But if you watch the combine, he missed like literally half of his throws at the combine. Nobody else missed like any, and he missed like half his throws. But did you see his pro day when he looked like he was having a lot of fun? I think that's it. I think he's just a really nice guy. I think that that like he he does strike me as the guy that everyone just really loves as a person. So it boosts his draft stock. It's like we we talked about with some of the guys that have just lasted for a long time this season, where we think they're just really great dudes. They're like, you know what? We'll bring him back. Like Dude, the Andy I, Daltons. I think it's like the exact opposite of what's going on with Howell, too. Cause like by all by all accounts, Sam Howell, if he has a personality, it's hidden under his bed. Like the dude is just milk toast. And like he just he doesn't say much. And when he does, it's like not very impressive. He doesn't really care about stuff. He's not super flashy. He just wants to go win football games and run over linebackers. Well, Andrew Luck ask. Like like almost Marcus Mariota ask. Just like, does he talk? Whereas Malik Willis is like out here like giving away merch to hobos and like giving charismatic interviews and like I don't know, man. His dad is going to all the like pre-draft events and like buddying up with the media. And they're saying like, oh, Malik Wills' dad's such a cool guy. He's so nice. Oh. Like, So your concern is that other people are a lot higher on him and well, you don't know why? My concern is that they're a lot higher on him and they see things that I don't quite see. And most people's excuse for his uh, complete and utter lack of any polish whatsoever, be it in the passing or even running game, is generally just that Liberty's coaching staff was a little bit incompetent. But I think that's BS because like, yeah, Liberty is an independent team and they're effectively like Conference USA borderline division two. But it's Hugh Freeze. The only reason Hugh Freeze is not an SEC head coach is because he cheats. And like, yeah, Liberty's a small time, almost brand new college, but they pour money into their athletics teams. 
Like they really pour money into their athletics programs as advertising for a school that you would have otherwise never heard of. So I don't think that his coaching staff was that bad. At the very least, he's got a head coach who's offensive minded. He has been an offensive coordinator. I'm pretty sure he's worked under Saban. Like he's a known entity. So like, I don't think that's it. But theoretically, he could be just effectively uncoached because he never really got the coaching in his year at Auburn before they started Bo Nix over him. Yikes. Or at Liberty, where a former SEC coach of the year coached him. I think he won coach of the year one year. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. I remember he was super hyped and everyone loved him for a little bit. They had that one. They had a couple big years with Chad Kelly. And then they had I think he was there for that. And then I know they had the big year with Shea Patterson uh, when Shea Patterson was a freshman and wore like number 20, like a psychopath. And he had like every first overall recruit, like he had in Cambiche, he had DK Metcalf. He had uh, Laquan Treadwell, and they had A.J. Brown, and they just tore things up. How did Ole Miss get such high prospects? Might have something to do with why Hugh Freeze is coaching at Liberty. Uh, we're getting it's off because- base, but yeah, I, I don't think he's that bad of a coach. And like, well, Liberty isn't an established program that could give him a lot. It's not like he, he just had the, the local high school coach talking him through their offense. It's, it's not the same as Josh Allen at Wyoming, where the guy was just like a literal high school coach saying, please be big and strong and fast. All right. So I feel like we, we've kind of morphed into this question already, but what are people missing with Malik Willis? So first of all, I think like I know that Joe Burrow was the hot quarterback that made it to the Super Bowl and Matt Stafford was the other one. But it kind of seems like the flavor of the week with the NFL this offseason is go get your Josh Allen, like go get your project quarterback because that works now because one of them worked. Um, And I think Josh Allen was a pretty niche, like once in a lifetime type of dude. And I don't even know that I think that Josh Allen continues to work out now that he's lost his elite offensive coordinator. But Everybody seems to want to find one quarterback that is a freak athlete in every possible way and just turn him into Josh Allen. But I think that that's, I don't think that's smart. Like, first of all, Malik Willis pulled the classic, I'm a scrambling quarterback that's not going to run the 40 because you'll all imagine I run a 4-3 because you're silly, even though I run like a 4-6. Um, I think that Malik Willis runs like a 4-6-4-7. I don't think he's as fast as Deshaun Watson. And as I stated before, Deshaun Watson ran a 4-6-6. I think he's like a four seven dude, which is like Jarvis Landry speed, which is clearly plenty enough speed to get some yards, especially in open space, but not game breaking speed, not the four three flat that he said he would run. It's like if a girl asked you how well endowed you are and you're just like, oh, 35 inches. Of course, it's the biggest you've ever seen. It's great. You'll never see it. I promise I will never let you see it. I had a chance to show you it and I chose not to actively for no good reason whatsoever, but uh, it's it's great. It's super big, the best. Um, that's effectively what Malik Willis did with his 40 time. Additionally, everybody seems to think that he's got like this cannon, oh my gosh, it's never been seen before level arm. And like, dude, he did the combine throw, like the one that everybody does, or uh, the pro day throw, sorry, where like they roll left and then they throw while rolling left back across their body as deep as they can. And when Josh Allen did it, you, you know the one I mean, right? The one that Zach Wilson did. And then yeah. Justin Fields copied it. Well, Josh Allen did it and threw the ball 80 yards while active, actively running left. Zach Wilson did it and threw the ball about 60 yards while like gently rolling left and putting his entire body. In. Justin Fields did it and threw it 65 yards. Malik Willis did it 
but he like slowly trotted left and then came to a full stop and then threw the ball about 60 yards. He doesn't have a particularly elite arm. I gave it an A minus as far as arm power goes, but I think it's weaker than Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter's. I think he has a lot of the same problem as Desmond Ritter too, where he likes to float balls. He, he floats balls to the boundary and they just kind of hang there. Um, he underthrows his deep balls pretty often. I can't tell if it's because he's inaccurate or because it's how he throws. But like the narrative that he's got elite speed is objectively false. And the narrative that he's got like a cannon arm is probably false. There are some plays, there are a good handful of plays where he will drive a ball deep to the second level, pot shot, Matt Stafford level arm strength looks gorgeous. But that's not usually what you get from him. And even when he's doing his best, even when he's slinging it, it's not on the Mahomes level. It's not on the Josh Allen level. It's probably not on the Sam Howell level. It's definitely not on the Herbert level. It's good. It's not great. Like, so people may be missing a lot with him. I think that he's, people... He's supposed to be an athletic marvel that needs polish, and he might not even be an athletic marvel. Yeah, and I think it's really easy because, like, nobody watched Liberty and he's the perfect kind of quarterback where like Malik Willis highlights it looks sick there's a bunch of sick stuff in there because he's playing against FCS teams and he's just running around making crazy shit happen but if you watch a full game like it it's not like that most of the time and like like well, let's call spade a spade a lot of people see a black quarterback that they don't watch and they hear strong arm and they're like oh yeah totally he's Mike Vick gotta be Mike Vick like there's nuance here maybe not like, yeah, I would say people do make assumptions a lot. I mean, especially I because nobody's watched him. He's at Liberty. If he played at Alabama, I wouldn't expect that. I would expect people that really know who he is, what he is. But he went to Liberty. Yeah. I mean, people don't watch guys play that do play at Power Five schools, <laughs> let alone guys that are at Liberty. That's what I'm saying. All right. So, so I'll move into the last part for him. Who are some of your comparisons from Malik Willis? So, not comparisons in play style, just in like, actual caliber um i put him at quarterback 33 out of 43 he is just below so it goes josh allen jordan love malik willis drew lock uh basically just like a little swath a little tranche of project quarterbacks notice that most of them didn't work out uh, i have him just above trey lance uh, and daniel jones but yeah uh 1.8 is my entry grade for him i have his floor at a 1.5 which is very bad. It's like Cam Newton with the Patriots bad. Uh, and I have his ceiling at a 2.7 because I think that as much as you could polish him up, the dude's got C plus accuracy and C precision. Those are both terrible. Add that to the D pocket awareness and C processing. You could polish him up a lot. He could get a ton better. He's not going to be elite. So I think he could become a good, almost great quarterback. I think he could make Pro Bowls. And that's why he's quarterback three, despite having a lower grade. Uh, lower entry grade than quarterback four. Like there's a chance that he becomes something really good. Whereas the next guy, I don't think there is, but yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, that, that grouping of guys is basically all people that were raw quarterbacks with crazy athletic traits that guys went, we can teach him, we can fix him. And well, it, only one of them has worked out to this point. Since I began grading quarterbacks, I, uh, I thought actually of a list of guys who were the amazing athlete that if we could just polish him up and I, I made um, Trey Lance, Jordan Love, Justin Fields, Felipe Franks, Dwayne Haskins, Cardale Jones, Jacob Eason, and even Kellen Mond. One of those worked. 
arguably. The others are miserable fucking failures. And Felipe Franks, like last year, infinitely stronger arm, similar runner. Guy's probably never going to start. So like. Yeah. yeah, the conversion, I think Josh Allen has given people a lot of false hope on it because in reality, it works way less than it fails. But in a weak quarterback class, especially you have people taking home run swings. I think that wraps us up, though, on Malik Willis. Anything else to add? You ready for QB4? I'm more than ready for QB4. All right, Joe. Who is quarterback number four for you? I'm trying to make a pun about hands, but I'm struggling. Put them together for Kenny Pickett. Uh, Yeah, so I have Kenny Pickett as quarterback four, despite the fact that his entry grade is a 2.1, which is significantly higher for those of you who have graduated kindergarten than the 1.8 that I gave Malik Willis. The problem is that Kenny Pickett he is what he is. And one of the things he is, is old. I think he's about to be 24 and he's played four or five years of college football. Additionally, he's pretty maxed out. He's had pro style offenses and he has been coached as much as I think he can be coached. I think his ceiling is about a 2.3. So I think he can get a little better. I think high end Kenny Pickett ends up being like that DAC line, that like just good enough starter, that tofu quarterback. And then I think that his floor is a 1.0 because there's a chance that his hands are just too damn small for NFL football and he legitimately can't throw. You're going to bring in the hands thing for why his floor is that low? Because I've heard some people say that the hand stuff is is garbage. Okay. Typically, I don't think the hand stuff is a very big deal. Like if you're over nine, I don't really care. But I am a small man and I have laughably small hands. Like my girlfriend and I have the same size hands. And that's like a party joke. Like I have tiny little fucking fingers. I got big palms and no fingers. I measured. I, I measured right before we did this podcast. I have 8.25 inch hands, the way that the NFL measures pinky to thumb. Kenny Pickett, after stretching and like doing exercises to make his hand bigger, had 8.25 inch hands at the combine. I can throw an NFL football, but my range is significantly limited as compared to a college size football or God forbid, a high school size football. Additionally, if I get hit real hard, that thing's coming the fuck out. And I know that Kenny Pickett wears gloves and I know that those help because I have receiver gloves for sometimes when I have to throw an NFL football, not a joke. But one, those things turn to shit in the rain. And two, I wouldn't care if Kenny Pickett didn't fumble so goddamn much. I've seen him fumble shotgun snaps that hit him in the hands, which is hard to do because he's got tiny hands. I'm going to stop making Kenny Pickett hands, Joe. All right. So what what are baby hands biggest positive? What's his avenue for hope? I mean, like the best thing you can say about Kenny Pickett is that he's like, well, he's got great anticipation. He, he can anticipate all receiver coming open. And considering his weak arm, he's he delivers the ball with really good zip. Like he puts everything he has on every throw and it's not labored either. Like it's just, he throws with better zip than Malik Willis often does, despite having a significantly weaker arm. Interesting. So he's kind of outperforming his arm. Whereas guys like Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis are underperforming. Yeah. It's almost like Ritter and Willis like aim the ball. Whereas Pickett just like doesn't have that mental hang up and just like goes for it. He just fires it As, as hard as he can, which is not that hard. All right. Well, then let's go to his biggest negative. What do you worry about? him? Well, aside from the baby hands and the fumbles, he's not very accurate. Like he's really good at throwing 10 yard curls. But if you ask him to throw other things, he doesn't do a great job. And he had good blocking and he had good receivers and he had a pro style offense. And it just wasn't 
nearly like it was fine. His accuracy is fine, but for a weak arm dude, you want to see a lot better. So despite the fact that his accuracy is a B, I gave him a B for accuracy and a B for precision. But like, if you're going to have a C for arm power and a C plus for mobility, like I need more. All right. With that said, what's his best fit? Where does he have his most success? I think one of Kenny Pickett's like, I don't want to say selling points, but one of the nice things about being Kenny Pickett is that basically every team fits. Like there's no offense that he's particularly suited for. There's no offense he's particularly not suited for. If your offense includes 10 yard curls and they all do, he'll be fine ish. Like he will, he will survive. He will not be good. He might not thrive and you might not resign him, but he will exist and not fail completely. He will not Sam Darnold this bitch. Are there places that he couldn't go? Like if he went to Tampa, would he just immediately disappear? No, because even in like literally any offense, even the most vertical offense you can imagine, there is somebody running a route between five to 15 yards downfield. And he is pretty good at that area of the field. Like his deep ball is terrible, but his short ball is pretty good. And his middle ball, like his, like, like I said, 10 yard curls, 10 to 15 yard crossers. He's actually really good at those. Like that's where his accuracy is at its best. And Matt Ryan made a career out of dominating that area of the field. So like there's a path to him being decent. That was Josh Rosen's whole claim to fame. The man was just an absolute murderer in the intermediate level. Well, you know, I mean, he fucking was in Miami and Arizona too. Yeah, apparently he's just not a not a fun guy to hang out with because everyone just keeps getting rid of him. I, eh, I but that is a whole know. other conversation. I wish I fucking knew. I wish I could fucking tell you what happened to Josh Rosen. But all right, so there's no real particularly good scheme fit. Yeah, he's kind but of vanilla. Let's jump in then. What scares you about Kenny Pickett besides uh, baby hands? The scariest thing about my evaluation is that Greg Cosell loves him. And Greg Cosell is usually not bad at evaluating quarterbacks. Uh, I, I really don't like Greg Cosell's evaluations this year, like for most positions. But it is worrisome when a guy with a proven track record thinks that this guy's great and he was super productive this year. And honestly, I'm just terrified of Kenny Pickett pulling a Joe Burrow where he's not actually any good, but he just kind of like keeps on finding spoons stuck up his butt and horseshoes next to them and clovers next to them and rabbit's feet in his pockets because like he throws jump balls and his team keeps getting them. Like I, there is a, there is a possibility that Kenny Pickett ends up being a productive starter, albeit not a good one simply because he falls into the right spot and he's smart enough not to mess it up. And he does have really, really good pocket awareness. All right. So then what do you think people may be missing about him? What is Greg Cosell missing when he uh, has a high grade on Kenny Pickett? I think people just get really high on his productivity because he was super productive. And they kind of ignore, first of all, he fumbled in literally every game I watched. He didn't fumble against Clemson, but there was one where it was a bad snap and he didn't get it. And it was like arguably a fumble. I didn't grade it that way because I'm trying to be generous because I'm always generous towards people that I doubt. If I'm high on a guy, I'm critical. If I'm low on a guy, I'd be generous. But he threw multiple turnover-worthy balls in half the games. He threw a tur- he he threw a turnover-worthy ball in every game I graded, and he fumbled arguably in every game I graded. So yeah, that's not a, a great track record. I know that was a, a worry with Jared Goff and Sam Darnold when they both came in was they pretty much turned the ball over at least once every game, and a lot of them were fumbles. And obviously, neither one of them has really had success 
outside of Jared Goff's incredibly schemed success and with LA. And Jared Goff's another tiny hands guy. But uh, he is. No, it's just he's not as safe with you. You think of him as being like a safe quarterback. He'll protect the ball, game manage, yada yada. But he doesn't really do that. And you have the problem of the hands. So fumbles are always going to be looming. And while I think he has really good pocket mobility, I've heard people or pocket awareness. I've heard people that I trust say it's not actually good. He just got a lot of time in the pocket. I don't know, but he just, it's tough to buck somebody with such great production. And it's not like Pittsburgh is some powerhouse. It's not like he was throwing to a Jamar Chase and a Justin Jefferson. Like, I like his receivers. I think they'll be good when they come out next year. But it is difficult to buck project or, uh, production. And I think that people just look at him and say, like, ah, Heisman favorite, a lot of production, played a lot of games, a lot of experience. And they create a narrative of, like, ah, he's the safe, boring, white quarterback that will win just enough games to not get benched. And I don't think he's that good. Okay, so then who, who are his comparisons? Who do you think he kind of ends up like? I think that he is Colt McCoy. But if Colt McCoy didn't get the concussion. Hey, man, that, that sticks around in the league. Exactly. I think that I think that if he wants to, Kenny Pickett could be a backup forever. Because he's a, he seems like a good dude. He made me laugh on Pardon My Take. He seems to get it. Um, He's like, I mean, he's got great pocket awareness. Like, his brain works. He doesn't process particularly amazing, but it's not bad. Um, he doesn't have a strong arm, but like, you don't need that as a backup. You just need to be workmanlike. And he's fairly accurate. Like there are NFL traits to his game and they are the safe, predictable ones. But I think he's Colt McCoy. Most of the time, I think that he's the washed up version of Matt Ryan, like the one that lost his arm strength. If everything goes perfectly. And I think he's Christian Ponder. If things just don't work out. Yeah. I feel like the Christian Ponder is always the, the terror when it comes to the the safe kind of weak arm guy. Especially like Kenny Pickett is not fast, but he's very quick. Like his feet are very quick. Like he could throw some jukes. I've seen him juke out defensive back and not with the He's one to hit the fake slide, didn't he? Yeah. But like I've seen him legitimately juke out players. Like he's got really good footwork. It's just he's not straight line fast. And Christian Ponder was a lot of the same, where like Christian Ponder could throw from any arm angle. He had a really quick release. He threw with a lot of zip. He was very quick. He was just fast enough. It's just the ball didn't go where he wanted it to, and he didn't have enough like actual velocity. He didn't have range. Those are issues, especially yeah. in today's NFL. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, I guess I could give the uh, all-time ranking. I have Kenny Pickett at a 2.1, so he is just behind Mason Rudolph, Kyler Murray, and Felipe Franks. Not lovely company. And he is just above Anthony Gordon, Dak Prescott, and Justin Fields, who are three quarterbacks with very different skill sets, who all were very low for very different reasons. And of all those players, Kenny Pickett has easily the lowest ceiling. Yes, he is. He is a guy that he got the Mac Jones side to him where you hope that he can just come in and be a professional in your offense. You're not like, hey, three years down the line, man, he's going to be ripping. Yeah, like I... I even gave Mac Jones a 3.0 ceiling because I was like, maybe he just is that smart and accurate and he could be Drew Brees. But Kenny Pickett, I don't even think that's a possibility. All right. Well, I think that's all there is to say about baby hands. You want to wrap up with uh, who's your QB number five? So most of you have probably figured out already that Matt Corral is my quarterback five. This is tough. Like, okay, so... In this, the hardest parts of this, we're figuring out like, okay, despite the fact that Malik Willis stinks, he's got the ceiling. 
So like I'm holding dog shit that might have a $5 bill inside of it. Whereas Kenny Pickett, I'm holding a $1 bill that definitely has dog shit inside. Of it. Um, the other hardest part is reminding myself that like what happens with Matt Corral's passes matters because if you just watched, like if you watched a play until a quarter of a second after the ball leaves Matt Corral's hands, you'd be like, Oh my God, this guy's awesome. Cause he's got a really nice release and he's quick. I like his size. He's relatively fast. Like his feet work really fast. If Kenny Pickett's quick, Matt Corral's real quick. Um, he's got actually people talk about how his arm isn't that strong. I think those people are on PCP. He threw the ball like 65 yards with accuracy, like with fair accuracy multiple times. He's got a strong arm. He's probably got about the same caliber arm as Malik Willis. Would you say that that's his biggest positive? (sighs) Yeah. I think his arm strength is probably his best positive, but this is kind of the problem with, with Matt Corral is like, it's not, it doesn't jump off the page. Like, same with his quickness. Like he's really quick and that's awesome. But like, that's not game changing. So it's not as much his, how special he is, but how his special aspects impact the game that he's really quick. But what does that really do for you as a quarterback? Yeah. And then like his arm strength is, is legitimately very good, but it's not great. He's not like a threaten every blade of grass type of guy. I don't know. It's kind of it's one of those things you, you want to like him. But then you kind of look back and you're like, there's nothing to really look. So would you say his lack of a true elite trait is his biggest negative? Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, there's one even bigger weakness, which is just his total lack of precision. It's, and again, it's another guy where you watch him and you come away, same like Ritter, and you come away thinking like, okay, he runs like a very consistent, high-functioning offense. Everything is an RPO. So like he should have really high accuracy percentages and be good. Nope. He's the least accurate quarterback out of the ones I've graded. <laughs> like despite throwing the highest percentage of gimme plays, it's absurd. He's, he's not accurate. I mean, like he occasionally throws really accurate balls and he's got like that like dart like trajectory, but he's just not consistent. I have a C minus precision grade on him. It's like Malik Willis level almost. That's not good. Not ideal. No. All right. So with those strengths and weaknesses in mind, what's his dream home? I think you got to, I mean, like it's not available to him, but Arizona is the kind of place he needs to go. He needs to go to a place where he gets the ball out of his hands quickly. And they utilize that lightning fast release to get the ball in space out wide. There's not really any other spread offenses in the NFL right now, which I think is ludicrous, but everybody's kind of going to that West coast, like zone read. And he needs more of like a traditional West coast. Cause like, well, that's jumping the gun, but yeah, I, he's screwed. He's really screwed. And this is part of why I don't love him. Hey man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past Arizona. You know what else? We know, we know the quarterback is not happy and they don't seem thrilled with the quarterback and uh, he would not a franchise great scared backup, of shaking it up. Great backup in Arizona. Or if Matt Nagy gets another coaching job, Matt Nagy loves those quick hitters. That would be, a solid fit, but I like he's got to get drafted this year. He can't just wait. So Macarell's SOL. I, I don't think there's a great spot for him unless you want to go to Arizona as a backup and hope that Kyler has a meltdown. And then he's got to beat out superstar backup Colt McCoy, too. Which is tougher, tougher than you would think. Which is actually a tough, tough out as far as backup quarterbacks go. Colt McCoy is towards the towards the top. But all right. What scares you about your evaluation of Matt Corral? 
it's just incomplete. Um, we keep on coming back to this with basically every quarterback, but the coaching is strange because Lane Kiffin is a genius. Absolutely. But Lane Kiffin basically just realized that there's a, there's a uh, inefficiency in the market that is play calling. And he's just spamming RPOs like 40%, almost half of the plays that they ran where there was a pass were RPOs. So if you want to see him throw a slant 40% of the time for about five to 10 yards to an open wide receiver, there's a lot of tape for you. If you actually want to get a grasp on how well he processes things pre and post snap, there is nothing, like almost nothing. So literally for his processing grade, I have incomplete. I have no fucking idea. He could be a genius. I have no idea. Yeah. And that's, that's a thing where, I mean, we've talked about it. If you get interviews or you were able to sit down with the guy and talk to him, you'd have a much clearer idea, throw some situations and see how he would handle diagnosing coverage or whatever. But with what we have, yeah, you're just incomplete. If I could play Madden with the guy for an hour, like seriously, I have Madden is literally more pro snap processing than what he did. Yeah, that's concerning for a guy that you're trying to figure out how he's going to do, especially given that he doesn't have incredible athletic traits or something else that you can kind of rely on. Like, like I said, he's got the people. really good arm. Like, like legitimately, it's this bad. If it turns out that he's a great processor, and this is a good segue, if it turns out he's a great processor, he could be Steve Young. Like, you know, tweak his accuracy a little bit, get a little bit more experience. He's mobile. He's got that low release, quick release zips the ball nice drive on it he could be steve young or if it turns out he is like totally brain dead which is totally possible he could be shea patterson that's not good yeah and that's quite the distribution (laughs) yeah that's that's why it's really hard to evaluate this guy so are those your comparisons steve young being his ceiling shea patterson being his floor yeah and i honestly i'm having a hard time coming up with like a probable for him because i just don't know i don't know Yeah, I feel like there isn't really a middle ground for that type of guy, at least not right now. Like, there's a little bit of a middle ground in young Ryan Tannehill, but I think that that's way too high. Mm -hmm. And like, a lot of the same things that that apply to Kenny Pickett apply to him. It's just that Corral has so much stronger of an arm that that's not really fair. Like, he's not Colt McCoy. His arm is way better. And he's probably not as smart, but he could be. But we don't know. Um, and there's definitely a middle ground between Shea Patterson and Steve Young. It's just a little unique. I mean, he could be Mitch Trubisky with a better release. Hey, it's not bad. You got a, uh, a, a guy that multiple franchises have thought would be a starting quarterback. So I don't know, man. I, first if all, I was still a Browns fan, I would be so thrilled that the Steelers got him. Yeah, I, I think that he could be poverty Steve Young. I literally just read think... that in my chart. <laughs> Adding it's a live edition. Well, when you get to quarterback five, nobody really (laughs) Fair enough. I think we just have one final thing. What might people be missing about Matt Corral? I already mentioned that a lot of people think his arm is weak. It's just not true at all. I don't know where the fuck that comes from. Um, Yeah, that's really it. Matt's got a strong arm. Everyone's sleeping on the arm. People are sleeping on his arm, and that's good. But that's good for his value. He's underrated. But, uh, like, dude, how do you bet on – like? It's like trying to get engaged to a girl that you've never spoken to. You don't even know if she speaks your language. Like you've seen pictures and like, yeah, looks are important. His physical ability is really important. But like, what if he's really dumb? What if he's really smart? 
I don't know. Like that's what, so his range, his like range of outcomes, I have him as a 1.7. So he's just below Trey Lance, just above golf and Daniel Jones, a little bit below Malik Willis. So like strange that the difference between QB three and QB five is Drew Locke and Trey Lance. Um, his floor is a 0.5, which is lower than Kellen Mond's floor because there is yeah, how many people have a lower floor than that. that there can't be the lowest. It is the lowest floor I've ever given okay. by a margin. Wonderful. Like it's Matt Corral at 0.5. And then Kellen Mond at 0.6. And then everybody else is about one because like everybody else has shown me they can at least operate a college offense. Whereas I don't know if Matt Corral can operate a normal college offense. I have no idea. So there's a 0.5 because there's a chance this guy walks in and like needs a helmet to walk around the locker room. But his ceiling's a 3.2 because if this guy's actually really smart, there is no reason he couldn't be really good. So you got a, a really wide distribution. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him, especially what? since he is a lower prospect. He might end up at, you know, in a good situation where he can sit for a year or two and uh, then we could see what happens. Now, granted, we also might never see him in a regular season game. Yeah, no, that's that's literally anything could happen with this guy. And Matt Corral is one of the rare dudes where I actually have no confidence in my grade. I I will have infinitely more confidence in my grade after I watch him in the preseason, just so I can see what he looks like when he's throwing, not an RPO. Like not, I don't need to see his, I know his physical talent. I know his physical makeup in and out, but the mental part is so big and I have no idea where it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a big question. It's a big part of this big part of the position. Usually if somebody is like sheltered by like gimmick plays and like gimmies all the time, you can say like, oh, the coaching staff knew that he would fuck up if they like put too much on his plate. So they tried to hide it. But like, no, Lane Kiffin was doing a smart thing, getting easy yards. Why wouldn't you get the easy yards? But also what if your quarterback could do more and open up your offense? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I would guess that he's probably not a genius because Lane Kiffin is a good enough offensive mind that I feel like their offense would have been more, more interesting. It wouldn't have been as RPO heavy, but it but, was so effective. Like why, change? but it was effective. Like they, they put up like 38 on Alabama. Yeah. It's yeah. tough. A Matt Corral is a goddamn mystery. I feel like that's a, a fun way to, to round out the top five where you've got guys that you feel very confident about. And then it's number five. You kind of have a little bit of a wild card. Yeah, number five could literally fall anywhere. I don't think he'll ever be Sam Howell, but I think that he could be quarterback two or quarterback 10. Very fun. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our uh, quarterback five in this first edition of the offseason episodes. Yeah, I might come back and do a couple sleepers. I've heard some decent things about Carson Strong, but uh, for now, those are the ones that seem relevant, at least in the first round. All good for me. All good from you. Heck yeah. Is uh happy to be back. Yeah, it's good. It's good to do this. I uh I guess that wraps it up. I can't ask you to bet on football games because that's not really possible right now, but uh you can watch them. I sure as hell will be. All right, off the